So Isaiah chapter 12, the entire chapter, so verses 1 through 6. O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, Adonai, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Thank you, Tracy. I'm somewhat uh, grateful that I have not been hearing an awful lot about Turkey Day this year. Um, that causes me um, a great deal of consternation. You know, my blood vessels want to pop. Uh, instead, I've been hearing people talk about being thankful. Um, it's, uh, I, I find it intriguing. I don't know about you. Um, a radio station I'd listened to, not, not a, uh, a Christian radio station, talked about being, uh, being thankful. And uh, as I was driving yesterday, I saw a big sign on the highway saying, we are thankful for sober drivers. And, um, you know, it's one of those, at least for me, it's one of those situations where you you take whatever good you see and then you say, okay, the the real good isn't here, it's missing. Um, obviously, the real good is the fact that God is not in the picture. How on earth can you give thanks unless you acknowledge God and recognize God as the one who gives all things, um, including during times of stress and difficulty. And um, this, this uh, song of thanksgiving that Tracy was reading to us is a wonderful song, but I don't know if you caught this one little section in it, one phrase in it, that kind of uh, makes you sit up and take notice. It's very bracing. I will give you thanks, although you're angry with me kind of a combination of the good and the not so good. Um, and it simply is a reminder, if you know anything about Isaiah's time, that this was uh, a time when Isaiah, this man of God, was living when people were not terribly interested in God, or at least the God of Israel. Um, there certainly were all kinds of gods and goddesses and they pay lip service to the God of Israel. But when push came to shove, uh, what they did was they looked for all kinds of ways to figure out how to um, cover their bases. In, in the case of, uh, in Isaiah's day, uh, 
the king at that time, King Ahaz, uh, was looking to connect with, uh, with the wolf, asking him to, uh, to guard the hen house, so to speak. Uh, Assyria was the dominant power at that time. And um, Judah, which was the southern kingdom where Isaiah lived, um, was engaged in this two-year battle with the northern kingdom, Israel, and with Syria. And it, it, it was very difficult, very, um, very painful. There were, there were a lot of um, uh, casualties. And Ahaz was interested in getting help from, a from Assyria, which was basically the Nazi Germany of the time. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Uh, the Assyrians, if you know anything about them, were military and were brutal people. Uh, you see that, for example, when you read in, in Isaiah chapters uh, 37 through 39, you see how uh, the people were absolutely uh, heartless. And um, instead of coming to the nation of, instead of coming to the God of Israel, and asking for his help, Ahaz wanted to, to get help from, from the wrong kind of uh, people. Human nature, folks, human nature for us, when we find ourselves in difficulties, we pay lip service to God, and yet when push comes to shove, we attempt to find all kinds of help. I was thinking about that during the Support Israel rally. As I mentioned previously, there was a great deal of emphasis on praying. You pray uh, for protection. You pray, but when push came to shove, it was all about the military might of the IDF, the Iron Dome. And I understand the basic reality that when you live in a hostile neighborhood, as Israel does, you need to have a strong military. Um, but you survive not just because of the strong military. You survive because God has protected the nation of Israel all these centuries. It was very heart-rending as I listened to some of the speakers, particularly one gal who was the shlicha. Shaliach means the emissary. And uh, this gal came from southern Israel. And she talked about an experience that was heartbreaking where, and, and by the way, in Israel, when the sirens sounded, you had 15 seconds to find a shelter. And she talked about an experience where the sirens sounded and she was in the street with a couple of her kids and she could only grab one of her kids and run to the shelter and yelled out to the people who were walking by to grab one of her kids. It was a very difficult experience. Uh, fortunately, nothing happened to her or her kids. But she mentioned the fact that some of the children there grew up without knowing what it's like not to have missiles raining down upon them. You may be aware of the fact that um, missiles from Gaza have been coming for the last 12 years on, on Israel, southern Israel. And um, one of the 
speakers, a young fellow who represents the uh, local youth organization, talked about that the mood in Israel was both sober on one hand, on the other hand, people's attitude was, well, we will survive, we will persevere, uh, we're resilient, no one will be able to drive us out. Which is somewhat of the uh, mindset of the people of Israel. And uh, based upon the um, ability for self-help. I also heard that being reflected from the head of the Jewish Federation who talked about the fact that we are going to do it. He, talked, he spoke about the need for Israel to fulfill its commission to be a light to the, net, to the, to the Gentiles by fixing the world. It's an expression called tikkun haolam, uh, to model peace and democratic ideals. Obviously, those are good things. But again, what struck me was a simple question. Where is God in the picture? That's on one hand. On the other hand, um, a Facebook friend from Jerusalem, Wayne Hilston, uh, sent a uh, brief message, and he quoted the rabbi of the IDF, the chief rabbi, who referred to not the might of the IDF, but he quoted Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David, on inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. In the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the fact that people are convinced of their own might and their own strength, there are those who get the fact that God is the only protector. And this is the message that Isaiah is giving to a people who are existing in a time of conflict, in a time of crisis. We're here in the United States, we're we protected from missiles raining down on us, but the truth is, as Floyd was referring to earlier, um, I don't think any of us have been free of one crisis or another. I'm sure that all of us know at least one person who has uh, health issues such as cancer uh, or somebody who has lost their, their jobs and are looking for work and are either unemployed or underemployed. Crisis seems to be the watchword for the day. And yet, the Lord speaks about the fact that in the midst of all of that, he is at work. And particularly here, um, you see that God is angry at the nation of Israel because of its sin. The Lord disciplined the nation of Israel. And by the way, the way God gives discipline to his people is different with how, from how he deals with those who don't know him. When God punishes his children, it is for the purpose of discipline for the purpose of restoration. But when he deals with those who don't know him and who are in rebellion, his purpose is judgment, a severe judgment. 
And, and we've been seeing over the last several weeks the fact that God is committed to the restoration of His people. And He uses the crises that we're in to draw us to Himself. And unfortunately, part of what happens with us is we engage in a crisis and all we can see is the crisis that fills our screen. It's in front of our face and we're not able to step back and say, okay, where is God in all of this? What is God doing here? What is the Lord trying to teach me? And what are His purposes in the midst of this? In the case of Israel, in Isaiah's time and today as well, God is using the crises to bring about discipline, to bring about restoration. In, in the prophet Hosea, the Lord states, I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. God's anger is never an eternal fact because God's mercy always dominates. The Lord is always, always, always committed to bring about restoration. But there's a price. There's a price that has to be paid because God doesn't believe in cheap grace. And in our case, it is Yeshua who suffered and experienced death and experienced, experienced suffering of one kind or another. And I keep coming back to Isaiah chapter 53 there's such a powerful statement of how Yeshua suffered and experienced sickness and experienced death. And he knows and understands intimately what it means to suffer. He was despised. He was a man of sorrows and intimately acquainted with suffering and sickness. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Yes, God works to bring about discipline in our life, but it is because he loves us. And he uses these crises. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've been going through difficult circumstances, which all of us have to one degree or another, rather than allowing those circumstances to fill your screen and cause you to be overwhelmed, at some point step back and say, God, where are you? And what are you doing in my life through these circumstances? We've been talking a lot about God's sovereign control and God's sovereign power in the midst of life and in the midst of crises in, in the world and, and the way we learn to embrace God's sovereign control is by recognizing the fact that He is at work, that He is working His good plans for us and learn to recognize that and give Him thanks. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah is doing. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. I will give thanks. And he is, by the way, at this point, looking through a prophetic telescope at, at a time when Israel is completely restored, which it isn't at this point. But 
he is calling on the people through the song to give thanks. The, the Hebrew word for praising and thanking, oda, otcha, or it comes from the Hebrew word that has to do with hands. In other words, giving thanks is not only a verbal thing, it's also a physical uh, expression by holding up their hands, recognizing the sovereignty of God. The praise is based on God's previous work. His discipline, His restoration, and His comforting. I will praise you, Lord, although you're angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. This is the Lord's heart, folks, for us, is as we go through difficult circumstances, the Lord wants to come alongside of us and, and, and encourage us. That is why he's presented in Scripture as the God of all comfort. It's very personal for Isaiah because his name, Yeshayahu, means God is salvation. Notice that he says, God is my salvation. What it means is that to know God is to experience redemption and deliverance. The closer you come to know the Lord, the more you experience His presence and His reality and His deliverance. And you learn to trust God. Surely, God, in verse 2, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, and He's become my salvation. How do you trust God in the midst of difficulties? Hebrew word there for trust, batach, has the sense of well-being and security based on knowing the person who is managing things. Obviously, the Lord here in this case. Our confidence in people is limited because we sometimes have relationships with people that show themselves to be untrustworthy. But the Lord is different. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. We have that inclination sometimes to look for people who are powerful, people who are strong, people who are dynamic, people who can help us and uh, put our weight on them. The problem is you find out sooner or later that nobody, none of us, can bear that kind of weight. As much as we're well-meaning, we attempt, but the truth is the only one who can truly help us is the Lord. And, and we are reluctant to trust Him because of fear. Fear and faith are opposites. You can say that faith is the antidote to the poison of fear. Fear can keep us from trusting God. It has been said by 
a commentator by the name of Oswald, John Oswald, those who leap across the chasm of fear will discover what they have in the Lord. It is easy to allow ourselves to be bound up with, with fear of one kind or another because circumstances rise up like a mountain to such an extent that we can't see the Lord. And the Word of God holds out a, a vision before us that the, that the only one who can rise up fully above us is the Lord, not circumstances. And to the extent that we are willing to trust Him, then all these circumstances then come and shrink because we see who God is. By the way, the, the words that are being quoted here by Isaiah obviously come directly from the song of Moses. In Exodus 15, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. I'm sure you remember the scene where the people of Israel were between a rock and a hard place, so to speak, um, between the sea and Pharaoh's army, and they're yelling, they're freaking out, and, uh, and Moses says to them, stop, stop yelling, stop freaking out, just step back and wait and see for God to do what he's going to do and bring about deliverance. It is so difficult for us to do that because we allow ourselves to be consumed with, with fear. And at some point, as we draw towards the Lord, as we cling to Him, then we see more and more of Him and He fills our screen and the, the problems and crises and circumstances shrink and we're able to see them for what they are. Obviously, it's a lot easier to give thanks and worship God and, and, and uh, say, Yay, God, when everything is, is fine. And by the way, that will happen. At the end of time, when God does all things and there's complete restoration, uh, we're going to hear a multitude. This is Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of great multitude in heaven Shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to you, O God. How do you do that when you're in the midst of circumstances? You draw to the Lord and you drink deeply from His presence and His encouragement. Isaiah here speaks about drawing water from the wells of salvation. And we can see that in a couple of ways. We can see that when, when things are completed, when God delivers and, and when He comes through and circumstances settle down and, and, and we experience relief um, and God provides what we need and, and, and we're able to say, Thank you, Lord. But before then, as we go through the process, then we step back and we experience relief inwardly in the spirit and, and we are strengthened in the inner man. 
And at that point, we're able to say, thank you, Lord, for giving me basic sense of security, despite the fact that everything seems to be going to, to hell in the handbasket. This is what Yeshua encouraged us to do. If you remember when he spoke to the, to the woman, to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said to her, the water that you have will leave you thirsty, but the water that I give you will never leave you thirsty, but rather it will come bubbling forth. And that's the kind of water that the Lord has for us that he wants us to drink deeply to draw from the well of salvation and to learn to praise and give thanks to God in the midst of circumstances. Isaiah here speaks about giving thanks in a number of different ways. One of those is certainly is simply a liturgical, which is what we do each Shabbat from time to time. Um, Give thanks to the Lord, by the way, is, is a liturgical form where, where one person would say, give thanks to the Lord, and the other person would say, for his chesed, his love endures forever. You find that, for example, in Psalm 118 and Psalm 136. And I know sometimes we, we look at these liturgical forms and, and we don't know how to worship God in them. Guess what? The people of Israel... Worship God through these liturgical forms. That was mostly the kind of worship that they did. So this is something that you find throughout Scripture. Whenever you see the expression, giving thanks to the Lord simply means doing that. Saying, thank you, Lord, for your chesed, your grace endures forever. It's part of our vocabulary of worship and thanksgiving to God. And I believe part of what God wants to do for us is teach us to have a larger repertoire of worship. You know, for us, for different ones of us, worship comes in different forms. Uh, if I were to try to do worship dance, A, I would fall all over my own feet and I'll cause others to fall on, on their feet as well. I'm grateful for Linda and, and for the other folks who are gifted in that kind of worship. But the point simply is, what is God doing inside of you, in, in your inner heart? Have you been experiencing the joy and the security of knowing that He is in control, that He's sovereign? And even if you don't recognize that and you find yourself kvetching, complaining to God, Lord, this isn't going well, this isn't going well, this isn't going well, stop, catch your breath, and take a moment and say, Lord, thank you for this, whatever it is, this little thing. And, and back here a year or, or two years ago or six months ago, you came through in a major way for me. And I remember that, and I trust you that you're able to do the same kind of thing. It's what Scripture refers to as holding first fruits. The first fruits 
are the good things that we see visibly God doing in our life and we stop and recognize them and we give thanks in faith that what else is lacking that God will bring about and, and provide for us. I saw another quote that really grabbed my attention and I wanted to share that with you. Praise and thanksgiving are essential to a robust spiritual life. Not because God needs them like some neurotic tyrant, but because we need to give them to Him. This is how we refocus our attention upon how much we have received from a loving Father. And here is the concluding statement that, that, that this uh, commentator made. Any revival which may yet come to the world will be marked by a new outburst of thanksgiving. So we want God to, to show up. We want God to, to appear and do amazing things in our life, in the lives of other people. And if we're serious about that, then we would welcome the Lord by thanksgiving and praise. Not just once a year. But we will cultivate that and make it part of our reality, part of our spiritual life, our daily life. So Isaiah refers to giving thanks. He also refers to singing. Again, this is not an area where I have found myself to be particularly gifted. My wife is. But you know, part of what I've been seeing as I read scripture is that Worship and thanksgiving and praise is the lifeblood of our relationship with God. And I've never been particularly strong with that. God and me have always operated through the gate of the mind, the cognitive, you know, reading scripture, God talking to me through the word. But I've been seeing that God wants the, the fuller picture, the fuller picture to be part of our relationship with Him, even in areas that we don't find ourselves particularly strong or gifted, then we simply say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow in worship and thanksgiving. And if you're one of those folks that can relate to me, for whom worship is one of these steep learning curves, you make it God's problem. You say, Lord, I want to worship you. I want to learn how to be a worshiper. I want that to be part of my life. You find, for example, that that is an expression of the people of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us, be filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. If you know who the Lord is, if you know His power in your life, if you're willing to give Him credit for the good things He's done, then you'll learn to worship and praise and even to get radical, to make melody. You know, we are such a forgetful people. God does things for us and our basic attitude is, Lord, what have you done for me lately? Yes, you did something way back here, but 
what are you doing now? And I need this, 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 and this. And you're not delivering. You're not coming through. What's up with that? Instead of stopping and giving thanks to the Lord and praising Him. Isaiah puts it this way. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things, majestic things. Let this be known throughout the whole world. Here's another comment that... uh, really grab my attention. Singing is the natural expression of the spirit which is free and which has discovered that its destiny is not dependent on striving but rather upon the infinite power of the Almighty. I don't know if you heard that. Let me say that again. Singing is the natural expression of the spirit which is free. The extent to which we are consumed with life, consumed with ourselves, instead of being consumed with God, will mean that we will be ungrateful. On the other hand, if we learn to know who God is and learn to depend on Him, then we'll want to add another another aspect, another tool in, in our tool chest of worship. Then the third tool that Isaiah mentions here is in verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And perhaps for most of us, the notion of shouting to God in worship is a little over the top, a little too radical. Um, and by the way, the, the Hebrew word there is a very strong one. Uh, it, it basically has the sense of, of yelling, uh, not necessarily in a way that is very, uh, very polite or raising the roof. And think about it, folks. We scream and make ourselves silly to honor the Broncos Why not do the same for the Lord? And yes, it's not considered polite or a good form, etc., etc. But if we experience the presence and deliverance and reality of God in a particularly strong way, why not do that? Just shout to the Lord. And it's not about being charismatic or, or being this, that, or the other is simply what's in your heart. What's in your heart, folks? What is in your heart? Is your heart filled with fear, anxiety, or perhaps bitterness? Or is it filled with the joy that the Lord gives you in the midst of all kinds of difficult and puzzling circumstances. And then when God does that in us, when He releases us, and when there is the worship and praise and thanksgiving and joy and singing and all these things, it doesn't stay inside. It ripples outward. It goes viral. 
And this is something that we do as, as a community of, of believers, as a mishpacha. We celebrate together. We worship together. And by the way, I'm not p- wanting to point a bony finger at anybody. Because I, I know that fingers always point back. But if you're, if you're someone who has a hard time coming on time to service, let me encourage you to make that a high priority. Because you're robbing the Lord of the praise and worship that belongs to Him. And you're also denying yourself of the joy that comes from giving God the thanksgiving that belongs to Him. It's a two-way street. We, we are, as a congregation, committed to being a worshiping congregation. Forty minutes worth of worship is a long time. Why? Because we believe that it's right and proper for God to have the thanksgiving and praise. And sometimes, I don't know about anybody else, sometimes I come in a Shabbat morning and my thoughts are somewhere out in China and it takes a while to to really stop and, and focus on the Lord and pay attention to Him. And we provide that for you in, in the expectation and we pray that God would stir in your heart the desire to do that. Not so somebody else can look and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is coming on time. But so that you can come and you can give God what belongs to Him. The fact that He's kept you. The fact that He's preserved you. The fact that in the midst of difficult circumstances, you're not dead. You're alive. That came home to me big time after a 25-foot fall when I could have been dead or could have had several bones broken. And yet the Lord saw to it that I came out of that alive without any brokenness. God does these kinds of things in our life from time to time as a way of getting our attention and saying, hello, are you listening? Are you paying attention? And then the natural and the right and proper thing for us to do is to give thanks. Because it belongs to the Lord and also because it is good for us. This is something you struggle with. Let me encourage you to to pray and say, Lord, I want to become a worshiper. I don't know what it looks like. I have a hard time. Shabbat morning is the most difficult morning. And by the way, the, the demographers all say that Shabbat morning is the absolutely worst possible time to have a worship service because people work hard and uh, and and Saturday morning they are basically want to sleep in. I know that's the case for all of us.
Make it God's problem. Make it God's problem. Say, Lord, I want, I'm willing. Change me, change circumstances, change my habits, change my approach. Make me a worshiper, someone who comes and is able to worship alone, but also worship together with my brothers and sisters. And at some point, you stop and you see God at work and you're able to give thanks and it's a blessing for you. You have joy regardless of what takes place in your life. You have confidence that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord is at work and that He loves you and that He is at work with you. Every so often the Lord grabs our attention and this was one of these weeks for me. Joy and I have lived in our home for 26 years. And we bought the house that we did specifically to be in a Jewish neighborhood. It was a very hard decision. It's expensive. And uh, there were no other believers that we knew of. And we dedicated our home to the Lord's purposes. And we had... Chavarot, we had Bible studies, we had the office there, etc., etc. But for years and years and years, nothing seemed to happen. And then God started to bring people. First of all, the, the Jewish community became stronger. There are a couple of Hasidic synagogues that move into the area in a Jewish uh, bookstore named Mile Chai. just down the street from us, then a gal who's a believer, then, then a, uh, a, a youth pastor of a church called TNL, the next, uh, the next level, moved in as well. Then Reuben and Donna Drebenstedt, who, who are with Menorah Ministries, moved up the hill. And then Michael and Brenda Walker from Church in the City, Beth Abraham, also bought a home in this general neighborhood. And I've started to get the fact that maybe God wants to do something. And, and this, t this grabbed my attention particularly uh, because Michael Walker and Reuben Drebenstedt were, they had breakfast together and they took a prayer walk and then they knocked on my door. And we talked and prayed together that God would impact our community. But folks, this is after 26 years. And yes, there are times when we trusted God and prayed and, and engaged. And there were times when we felt like, oh, Lord, are you ever going to do something here? And what scripture tells us that whenever you see God at work, you stand up and you yell, yay, God. And you acknowledge what he does. You sing to him, you praise to him, you get radical. Because that, belong, that is something that is right and proper to give to him. But it also is sanity saver for you. To stop and recognize the fact that maybe 
things are not going to hell in the handbasket. That maybe, just maybe, God is in control. And because of that, it is time to sing and shout aloud for joy because of the fact that the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, is with us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are greater than our fears and our insecurities and our unbelief and our crises. And we bless you, Lord God, that you're infinitely patient with us. We thank you, Lord God, that you know us, our weakness, our sin. You know, Lord, the, the circumstances we all face. And Lord, we want to acknowledge you and give you thanks that you're sovereign, Lord. That you, in the midst of us, are sovereign. That you're fully in control. That you know all circumstances. That you have plans. That in the midst of the crises, you are at work doing your wondrous, carrying out your wondrous plans for us. Lord God, I pray for each one of us that you would give us those glasses, Lord God, the, the glasses of faith to be able to see you at work, to acknowledge you, to give you the honor and thanksgiving that belongs to you. Lord God, we bless your name the name of Yeshua. Amen.